Well, good morning. I just need to take a moment. If you, if you ever noticed, I, I, I take a, a seat and I pray during the last song to prepare to come up here and just make sure that what I'm about to do is what God's will is here. And uh, as I'm sitting there this morning, though, and I'm listening to the song, I'm listening to my child, my six-year-old, saying, I give a hallelujah. And it was just, I mean, brought smiles and tears to my eyes, so I'm just going to need a second to kind of bring myself to, together here. As you can see, today's title, From Darkness to Light, um, seems like we talk a lot about light. Paul uses that as a reference an awful lot. And hopefully by the end of this sermon, we'll have brought a little bit of a light to a term that we hear an awful lot. Being a Christian, and what does that mean in today's world? I, I think it's such a diluted term nowadays to what it actually meant for the, the original people that were underneath that term of being a Christian or being a follower of Christ, right? And so today, what does it mean? It, it could simply mean that, well, that's a person who goes to church. Maybe there's a negative t- connotation to it, like, oh, those are the people who think they're better than everybody else. Uh, maybe it's, a, oh, those are people who do really good things in the community. There, there's all sorts of different things that kind of dilute what it truly meant to be a Christian in the earlier days, in, in the beginning of the church, but truly what it was, was it was a term that was given to those who followed Christ in such a way that everybody around them knew that they were not Jewish or they were not Greek or Gentile at the time, but that they followed a different way. In fact, we've talked about a little bit how Paul doesn't call Christianity Christianity, he calls it the way. Because it's the path that leads you to eternal life. But I think all too often we get tied up in the terms that have now come into what it means to be a Christian. Oh, I go to church on Sunday. I do a good turn or I turn a good deed every once in a while. But it truly meant that if you were a Christian, you were confessing that you followed Christ's way. And there was a reason for that. There was an importance to that. And that's what we're going to do and go over in John today. So if you turn to John chapter 12, we're going to finish Starting with verse 44 through 50, we're going to finish chapter 12. So remember, so he's rode into Jerusalem as a king, and he's received as a king, and he's gone through, and he's, he's been questioned and answered and, and made himself apparent of being the Messiah, being the Christ returning, right? And so we have all this going on, and now he's ending, we learned last week, he's ending his conversation, his public conversation with the, with the general public at the temple. He's no longer going to be doing that. He's going to be moving away. Starting in verse 13, we see it moved to a very personal, relational aspect of teaching his disciples and those who are closest to him. But here's the last thing he gives before he goes into the quiet room, before he heads to the cross, before he removes himself from the public eye. So if you could stand with me as we read John chapter 12, starting verse 44 through 50. And Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. And I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Now if anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. 
So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we hear your Son cry out that he is the path, he is the light that shines into the darkness and helps us be removed from the darkness. We hear Jesus' cry, Lord, to hear his words, to follow his sayings, for they are your commands. Lord God, open our hearts and our minds, our ears, our eyes, that we may hear and see, that we may be changed by your word, that we may come to actually follow you above all else. Lord, we thank you for the ability to be able to hear these words today, to stand before you and hear your truth. Lord, we praise you for all that you have done and all that you will do. In your holy name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So this verse 44 is reminiscent of Proverbs 1 where Jesus cries out, he who believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 1, we covered it a few weeks ago, but let's go back. Let me just read it to you again. One, Proverbs 1. Starts in verse 20. It's wisdom's plea is the title in many of your scriptures. But it says, wisdom calls out in the street and she makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above the uh, commotion and she speaks at the entrance of the city gates. How long, inexperienced ones, will you love ignorance and how long will you mockers enjoy mockery? Um, and you fools hate knowledge, right? And so here we have where Solomon is writing about how people don't hear wisdom, but wisdom cries out for all. Whoever comes into the city, whoever walks through the gates, whoever comes into the presence, hears wisdom calling. And it calls so loud that it calls above the commotion. I want you to picture that. Picture a crowded temple square where there's just people going about doing their thing and, and preparing and worshiping and doing whatever they're doing. And, and wisdom cries out above all that commotion so they can be heard. Now, now we read here that Jesus cries out. This is a passionate cry out. This isn't just a simply, I spoke these words, but he cries out above the dim of the noise that's there so that all can hear him. All who are present can hear the words of Christ. And these are the words he says, the one who believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me. There's a transparency in the ministry of Christ. See, it's the transparency I, we, we call ourselves to, too, is to live a life and do ministry in such a way that people don't see us at the point of ministry, but they see God. Right, and that's what Jesus is saying, is that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I am him and he is me, right? He's made that proclamation several times in the last several weeks that we've been going over the last parts of John that we've been in. But at the base of this is a transparency. You don't just see me, but you see the Father. And so when you look at me, you see him. Which is something that every Jewish believer would have never been able to see before. Why? Because if you saw the glory of God, you died. There were very few cases where people came into the glory of God and survived. And so here we have Jesus crying out above all the noise, all the commotion that's going on, everything that's, you know, kind of being static 
in their lives at that time and he cries out that, hey, listen, if you've heard me, if you've seen me, then you've seen God. He continues on, he says, and the one who sees me sees him who sent me. So not only do you hear me, you've heard God, or believe me, you believe in God, but if you see me, you've seen God. The one who has sent me, the Father. You've seen the very character of the Creator. Such a beautiful picture. I want you to think about that, that like when you see something and it kind of paints itself out and you're like, oh, that's, that's gorgeous, that's, that's wonderful, or I understand that better. What Jesus is, is a way for us to see God more clearly. He continues on. In fact, he highlights this a little bit. He says, he says, I have come as the light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in the darkness. So I've got a, a picture. Why don't you go to that first slide? Who can tell me what that picture is? A black screen? So there's a picture up there. I know what it looks like so I can make out some of it. I do have, I, have, I didn't block it out. Okay, now go to the next slide. Is it any clearer? See, this is in darkness, right? So a dark veil sits over this picture and we can't get it. Now, go to the next one. Are we starting to make out anything? I know this one gets a little bit harder to see. Okay, so some people are seeing hands. I hear cross. So we're getting a little bit more. There's a little bit more light. This is the opacity op- 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 of, uh, of uh, tool that you can use on it and I'm allowing more light into the situation. Let's go look at the last one. Now we have a clear, right? See, Jesus didn't come just as a light to shine into the darkness so that we might understand something. He came to make things clear. He came to make it understandable that who God was, what God's character was. He came so that we could understand the fullness of the Father in a way that we would kneel before him. This is everything he's been preaching, to glorify God, right? To bring us into a closer, deeper relationship with God. This is what light he brings into the darkness because what happens is is if we don't understand that, if we don't know who God truly is, if we don't understand God's character, we're much more likely to fall into the darkness of the world because that makes sense to us because we can touch it. We're up to this point. You couldn't touch God. God was something that was far off, off in the distance. But through Jesus, we get hands on the entity of Christ, of God. And so we find ourselves here. See, his light shines into the darkness to reveal the truth. Right? This is a beautiful picture. Man, hands raised to the cross. Not quite sure. It's a little fuzzy on whether it's probably uh, people's heads or whatnot, but, or maybe it's just ground or whatnot, but chains being broken by Christ, right? I mean, when we see the clarity, we remove the darkness from it, we start seeing the truth of the message being sent. And so this is where we sit. Christ didn't come to confuse us about who God was. He didn't come to confuse us about what our role or where our place was in the heavenly kingdoms. He came to clarify it all. He came to bring light so that we could see it in fullness, that we wouldn't have to stumble and walk in the darkness, that we wouldn't have to sit in confusion. But we have to first believe. We have to first come into an understanding and remove ourselves from the darkness. See, so he comes to be the light that we would not remain in the darkness. And if anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. 
For I did not come to judge the, word, the world, but to save the world. This is going back to John 3, 16 and 17, where we have the famous verse that we've already covered, but we'll hit it real quick. For the Lord so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that those who may believe will have eternal life. Right? So here he's reiterating this. This is the mission that he's had. This is what he has come to do is to bring life to a, a dead world, to rejuvenate a world that was dying and decaying, to bring new life into that which had already passed away and died. And so this is the words he says, Those who, anyone who hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. I had a I had to sit there and, and think about that for a while. I had to go back and do a lot of study on this section. Um, by the grace of God, I've started reading Ezekiel to my son, to Asher at bedtime. And so I want you to turn to Ezekiel. Chapter 3. Starts in chapter 2, we could probably hit it there, but I'm going to just hit chapter 3, verses 4 on. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, that's how God referred to Ezekiel, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to the many peoples of unintelligible speech or a difficult language, whose words you cannot understand, no doubt if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is a hard-headed and hard-hearted. Look, I have made your face as hard as their face and your forehead as hard as their forehead. I have made your forehead like a diamond, harder than flint, don't be afraid of them or discouraged by the look on their faces. Here he is, he's making that argument again that we heard last week too, that the people's hearts and minds had been hardened because they didn't want to hear, they didn't want to change, they, they didn't want to be what God was commanding them to be, they didn't want to listen and obey and be obedient to the, to the laws that God had given them. But there's a little bit deeper side deeper side of it that I, I ran into a little bit further on. If you go down about verse 16, it says, Now at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. And the Son of Man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. So here he's telling Ezekiel, he's making him a prophet. When you hear my word, you're to go give it to whoever I tell you to go give it to. You're to be my spokesperson. If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wickedness or wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. 
Now, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly, and I put a stumbling block in front of him, he will die. And if you do not warn him, he will die because of, your, or because of his sin. And the righteous acts he did will not be remembered. Yet, I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn the righteous person that he should not sin, and he does not sin, he will indeed live because he listened to your warning and you will have rescued yourself. See, what's it mean to be a messenger? What's it mean to carry God's word? You know, Jesus says, hear my words. And he goes on and he instructs and he spends a lot of time teaching about what it means to walk in God. But it's not for naught, it's, it's to be the messenger. He's delivering the word of God directly to us so that we can understand it. But there's another rub to that is the fact that we are called to carry that word on with us. That was what it meant to be a Christian, was to be a follower of Christ, to work in a way, or walk, I'm sorry, walk in a way that shows us to be Christian, to carry the message with us in all of our lives, not just in a portion of it. And so when we go back to Ezekiel and we read that concept where Ezekiel is, is being told by God that, hey, if you carry this message, but you do not give the message, you're as responsible as the person. So the unrighteousness of that person will cost that person, but I'll hold you responsible for that blood and then you will be unsaved. See, when Jesus says, hear my words, and he delivers that message on to us, he's giving us a message to carry on. To be a Christian means to follow and to continue the message, right? That's what we get in, in Acts. To Jerusalem, to Judea, to the ends of the world. So we have this responsibility to understand that here Jesus is giving us the message. He continues on in verse 47 back in John 12. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the word, but to save the word. The one who rejects me and doesn't re receive my saying, has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. See, this is going directly back to Ezekiel. See, if you've heard the message, you're responsible for the message. You're responsible for living up to the message. You can't sit there in a state of ignorance and sit there and say, well, I don't want to do that because God's grace will cover it. Because here he's saying, listen, if you don't follow through with my voice or with my sayings, the word I've given you, that will be your judgment. Not Jesus judging us as being unrighteous or not, but our very actions judging us as being unrighteous. See, you can't sit here and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I study his word. I hear his message. But then not let it affect you and change your heart and act upon who you are. Because in that moment of judgment, that will be what testifies against you. Your own actions, your own words, your own direction. Just as Ezekiel, who was given the task to go and give messages, and if not, he would be responsible for what transpired in that process. Because the negative actions that happened on that would go on. This is a, a difficult message to hear. Because it's, it's a little bit out of context in the sense of what we're used to hearing that like, oh, God loves us and he's willing to just forgive everything. And there's a truth in that statement, 100% truth that God does love us and that he will forgive us of all of our sin. But we have to be repentant of it. We have to sit there and be willing to accept that we were wrong and that we were outside of what his direction was and that we weren't 
adhering to his words and we didn't believe in his sayings and we didn't follow his sayings. That we rejected what he had taught as being good and we have to be repentant of that and move into a place of, of brokenness before him to be healed again, to be risen up and made anew in, in the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit. See, because if we don't, if we carry on in a way that is un-Christian, un- unlike the way that Christ had taught us, that he had spoken, he'll speak against us. And it's not Christ who's judging us, it's our own action, it's our own self who's judging us. Now, I know that's difficult because all of us walk in a way that leads brokenness into our lives occasionally me included. There isn't a single one of us that walks a perfect life. That's why we need Jesus Christ. But the question I ask is, do you hit your knees repentant when you fall out of line, when you find yourself in a place of brokenness? Do you hit your knees and ask for forgiveness? Do you accept the responsibility that you chose not to follow and that it brought you into a place of of not being in alignment with God's will, that you're willing to fess up Inside the world, we call it being the bigger man, right? Being the bigger man, stepping forward and saying, hey man, I messed up. But inside of that, being repentant of heart is a beautiful thing because it releases the hold that Satan has on us because it's no longer guilt or shame that drives us, but instead our, our wish for renewal. See, repentance is a beautiful thing. And that's what Christ has been calling Israel to. That's what he says. When he says, when you hear my words, he's been calling them to repent of their broken ways, the religious hierarchy that has created such a, a difficult way to see God because it's so human-driven at this point, to repent of all of it and just surrender and go before the Lord, before the God of creation and just be in a place of worship before him. To be in a place of open-heartedness and truthfulness with him. See, that's what marked the first Christians. They, they operated in such a way that there was a, genuine, a genuineness inside their communities, inside their little societies that they had. They acted in such a way that everybody knew they were different because of how they went about life. They weren't about the rituals anymore, but they were truly about a circumcised heart, a heart that had been cut away by the Holy Spirit and made anew by God. And that's what we should strive for. That's what we should place ourselves in a, in a movement towards. This is his last addressing of, of the public. It's to call out, listen, you need to believe in who I am. You need to believe that I am of the Father and the Father's of me. You need to hear my words and live by them. For if you do not, that will be your judgment. That will be how God sees you. If you don't walk in the way that shows you to be my, my follower. That will be your judgment. That will be the testimony of your life. See, fellow Christian, fellow believer, we need to walk in a way that honors God, that glorifies God on a, on a day-in, day-out basis. We can't just walk part of the time in it or, or call upon his name when it, it best suits us or fits us. We need to walk in a way that really drives us towards God. We need to walk in a way that shows that we are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. 
If we don't do that, if we don't show ourselves to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if we don't actuate it in life, if we don't actually stand before others and confess, right? That was what we talked about last week is, is to confess his name, that, that the, the rulers who had believed in Jesus Christ were so afraid of losing their human placement, their human glory, that they were afraid to confess his name. If that's how we choose to walk life, then we, we shouldn't count on God calling upon us as a good and faithful servant. If we're too ashamed or, or too afraid of losing what we've earned in the world because of what God, or for, for God's glory, then why should God give us any of his glory? See, that's what he's teaching us here. He's like, he's telling us, like, listen, if you don't walk in a way, if you don't hear my words, that's just it. It's like, we, we hear that, hear words, and we just think of words. But what that meant was if you don't hear the decrees, if you don't hear that which I have taught you, the lessons that I have imparted upon you, that's what it means by words or sayings, depending on which translation you're walking through. The Greek word logos means wisdom, knowledge, enlightenment. It's got about 13 different words that come from and that can be used from it depending on the context. When he talks about lightness, he's not talking about Light and darkness is in day and night. What he's talking about is walking in a righteous way versus an unrighteous or an evil way. So all the way through this, we have the language of choosing the right path, choosing the proper way to walk by following him, by believing in him and, and, and letting that drive who we are, or walking in evil, walking in darkness. See, the thing was, is when we were walking in darkness, if you go back to that first picture, very first one. Is that it? It's a little bit brighter on this one than when it is on the big one. We can't tell that the cross has already broken the chain. That we're already freed from the darkness. All we have to do is turn around and walk away from it. But as Christ comes into our life more and more, as we understand it and are made aware of, through his teachings, the, the truth, the honesty behind what has happened, go to the last one. It's not until then and not until we come into that full light of Christ that we truly understand how free we truly are, that we're no longer bound and that the cross has released us. So this becomes an argument that we should drive towards a deeper understanding so that we can truly believe and feel that we're, bro that we're broken free, that we're no longer bound by the chains of sin, that we're no longer stuck in darkness. But that comes through knowledge in Christ because he is the light that removes that from us. And the deeper we understand that, the, the stronger our faith comes in that moment. The, the deeper we understand the, the truth of Jesus Christ and, and how much God loves us and cares for us, the more we walk in the ways he calls us to walk and we gain that relational knowledge. If you've ever courted anybody in a relationship, and I know we got a lot of husbands and wives and boyfriends, girlfriends, and, and different types of relationships in here, but if you've ever courted someone, what is the greatest test of time for that relationship is the knowledge you accumulate, right? And as we spend more and more time and as we get to know each other deeper and deeper, it becomes clearer and clearer who that person is. Well, that's the same thing with Christ. The more time we spend with Jesus Christ, the more time we pursue that relationship, the more time that we dig in and we understand the relational aspect that we have to put into it, the better we understand who he is, the better we understand what he has done, and the better we understand what he has made us. 
See, our hope is in Christ, not simply for the cross, but simply for the renewal that comes with it. To know that we are broken free of the chain of sin and death and driven to a place of light. See, that's what brings us hope. To know that tomorrow I am not going to be the same man I am today allows me to look at today and understand that the mistakes I made today are not mistakes I have to make tomorrow. And they aren't what needs to identify me for the rest of my life, but yet, in Christ, I can be made anew and re-identified. See, that's where he ends this. He says, For I have not spoken of my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. And I know that his command is eternal life. So Jesus Christ has come to do a mission to call people to repentance and drive them back to worshiping God, to being more diligent about being with God. That's the command that has come and he knows that that command brings eternal life, that if, if we can do that, if we can accept Jesus Christ for who he is, we can accept the gift that God has given us in Christ on the cross, then, then, we will have eternal life. And I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me that Christ is not delivering anything outside of what God has been talking about for eternity. And so we come to a place now that we have to kind of ask ourselves a question. Do we want to judge ourselves? Or would we rather stand before Christ and have him be with us as we get judged. We'll cover a lot more of that as we get closer and closer to the actual moment on the cross in John. So I don't want to take a lot of time, but we have that, we have that responsibility. Do we choose to believe? Do we choose to follow his words? Do we choose to adhere to the sayings that he has taught them? So that when we come before, that is our testimony that we truly accept Christ for who Christ is and we follow Christ as Christ has commanded us to follow him? Do we share the truth? Do we enlighten others as they come through? Or do we choose not to? Do we choose to allow us and others to sit in darkness? See, we have the choice to walk in the light or in the darkness. That is a choice we get to have. We've all heard the word. You've heard it this morning. You've heard it every Sunday that you've attended here. You've, you've been made aware of the words of Jesus Christ. You've been taught his sayings. Now the question is, is do you choose to walk within them or without them? Do you choose to walk in a path that glorifies God or one that glorifies the world? See, our choice is what becomes our point of judgment. When we choose to not walk by Jesus' words, by his teachings, that's when we place ourselves in a point of judgment. Because when we walk in Christ, when we believe and trust that Jesus Christ and his way is the best way for us, we walk in his light. And we're seen through his eyes. We're seen through the work that he has done on the cross. Now, I give this out to you as believers because this is really, for those of us who have heard, 
and accepted Christ. This is really for us to understand what it means to be a follower of of Christ. To walk in obedience, to, to listen and hear and let it impact our hearts and change our lives for the more positive future that he has for us. I can't stress that enough. That if you've heard the words, there's no going back. It has now become an either-or situation for anyone who has heard the teachings of Jesus Christ. You can no longer play gray zones and half and halves. It has to be either you're in or you're out. You're either repentant before the cross, you're either repentant before the throne and understand that your, your life has been paid or your debt for sin has been paid for and your new life is in Christ. Or you're walking the other direction. See, no Christian was ever called to be passive or quasi-involved. We were called to be all in or all out. To let it be our fullness of who we are. To walk it every day, every moment of every day. So that the world around us would see what it meant to be a follower of Christ in such a light that they couldn't deny that God was involved. That transparency that we talked about at the beginning of today. To walk a life that was so in Christ, that was so driven by his teachings that they would automatically see him through what we were doing. So we find ourselves at a place where, do we want to walk in that way? And yes, it can be a hard walk some days. Some days it means that we say no to things that we'd really like to do. Sometimes it means we say no to situations we find ourselves in because it doesn't glorify God. Sometimes it says, it means that we say no because of a friend who brings up a topic that we have to kind of rebut against. But on the back side of it is God's glory and God's will. And what is better for us than God's will and God's glory? Absolutely nothing. Because outside of that is a whole lot of blackness, but inside of that is eternal life. See, we can either accept Jesus or be judged by our unacceptance of Jesus. The choice is ours. But the beauty is, is you've heard the teachings. You know the strength that comes with the words. You've seen lives around you. You've seen the testimony of people just simply living in a godly way. In fact, that's why many of us confess Christ is because we finally met that person in our lives that exhorted the truth upon our lives and challenged us with it. And it has brought us to a better place. It has brought us to a stronger place. It has brought us to a place of confidence, not in our own ability, but because we know who we are in Christ, because we know what we are capable of with God. See, surrendering to the teachings of Jesus Christ isn't a place of weakness. It's actually the beginning of a journey to strength. This is the plea he makes. This is the the cry he cries out above everybody. Is that when you believe in me, you believe in the Father. When you believe in the Father, it's life-changing. And those who choose to believe and follow the words will have eternal life. They will be made stronger. They will be made, all the other promises that we have are far too many to go into this morning. But that's where we find ourselves each and every day. What is your choice? To accept Christ and follow him and and be bold and declare and confess Christ 
or to continue to walk in darkness and not even be able to tell that in Christ the whole world has been set free if they only open their eyes and see his light. Church, let's be his voice. Let's cry out above all the dimness that's around us and all the static that's around us. Let's cry out and confess Christ. Let's live a life that is so transparent in the way that he has taught us that nothing but God can be seen within it. Let that be our strength. Let that be what drives us. Let that be what judges us. Amen.